Welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. Joining me today is the dad joke-telling, my bad, announcing, cancer-solving point guard, Jordan Chris. How are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, doing pretty good. That was quite the introduction. Uh, thank you for that. I think the audience already knows more than I wanted them to know about me, so... Well, just wait. <laughs> um, I'm Brady Hill, and I'll be joining Jordan for our first ever inaugural episode um, we decided to do this podcast because we looked around at the world and said, what does the world need in 2020 in a pandemic? There's not enough sports radio happening, obviously. Uh, and there's not enough podcasts in general. I think that's like an underserved market right now. So we decided we were going to give it a shot. Yeah, and there's also not enough just 20-year-old kids giving their analysis on sports and everything that's happening in the sports world. So yeah, that's, that's what right. we're here for, to give you our expert knowledge. Yep. We both go to BYU. Yeah. Jordan, oh, uh, no, we don't. Jordan graduated. Yeah. He's like... Went to BYU. BYU went alum. To BYU. He's an alum. That sounds fancy. Um, so yeah, so we're both here at BYU, and uh, things we're going to talk about are basically just what we're interested in. We're going to talk about BYU sports. We're going to talk about... Um, the NBA, although that's more more Jordan's thing. I like the NBA, but I'm not quite as uh, on board as Jordan. But we do love both college basketball, um, and, and I like baseball. Jordan doesn't really like baseball. I don't know how much baseball we're going to talk, but I also love Texas football. So I, we may eventually talk Texas football, and I think Jordan may just kind of stare at me while I rant. I mean, no, I'll, I need a spot I'll, to rant. I'll throw my I'll throw my two cents in there. Okay. I watch right. Texas. Okay. So we're just going to kind of yeah. talk about what we want to talk about, and it uh, should be fun. Yeah, should be good. I'm excited. Should we get should we get started? Yeah. So okay. today, I wanted to just start off talking about BYU football. It's the coolest season for BYU um, in, since probably since 1984. Uh, yeah, since the they, national the championship national run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had some, a few other seasons, 1996. Uh, they went to the Cotton Bowl in Kansas State. They were really good. And in 2001, they almost went. I think they almost went undefeated until the very last game. I believe they lost. So they've been good. They they have a strong history. They were good up until 2010 with Max Hall. Even then, they had Taysom Hill for a few years. They've been good. They've been solid. But for the last few year, few years, um, they've really been down. They haven't been particularly relevant. They went independent for the purpose of. An elevated status. They were tired of being in the group of five, and, uh, and up until this point, they really haven't proved that they belong in the power five. Um, but this should, this is the year that they've really kind of I think reached their potential and, and uh, done a lot. What, what have been your thoughts and, and expectations for you? Yeah. Um... I mean, I feel like this year just really kind of personifies the life of a BYU fan because it seems like whenever it counts, BYU doesn't perform. And then when it doesn't count, BYU does perform. Um, like, for example, this last year for the for college basketball, BYU looked like they had a great team. And, of course, the season and tournament got canceled because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So this is another, you know, just a situation where that is the case because this season... Um, although they've performed really well, they you know because because of the coronavirus and all the games that they had to cancel, their strength of schedule just hasn't been uh, where it is needed to be. So, yeah, I mean, 
it's just so nice though because this this is my last year for at BYU and for all four years pretty much I had seen BYU not meet the standards that they should have last year they go out go to Tennessee beat Tennessee uh, have USC at home beat USC at home and then they go out and freaking lose to Toledo and mm, yeah. USF and then uh, later in the year they lose to San Diego State and Hawaii but they beat Boise State who's ranked so they're just infuriating like showing potential but never living up to what I know they can be whereas this year they didn't have quite so many of those big names but they have done what they needed to do and they beat those they've beaten the teams that that they're they should beat mm-hmm. and if they would have just done that for the past decade if they if, even if they didn't beat Wisconsin and Boise State a few times in, in those kind of schools if they had just gone out and beaten the Troys and Law Techs of the world they would have had substantial winning records every every season um, but yeah so it's been really satisfying for me to watch um, this beauty of football team how considering their schedule you brought up how like they don't mm-hmm. they don't play hardly anybody yeah not out of their own choosing like, yeah you know a lot of their like they didn't they they had, oh, yeah. they had a tough mm-hmm. schedule they just weren't able to mm-hmm. um play those teams but considering your schedule how good do you think they actually are are they are they a team that can really compete with the big dogs this year you know i think they are i think they uh, measure up as far as defensively goes with um, byu teams of the years past because that's really been kind of a, a strong suit of byu in the recent years has been their defense and i feel like their byu the their defense measures up um and i've been pleasantly surprised with the offense this year. I was questioning at the beginning of the season what the impact of the loss of Matt Bushman would be because, you know, obviously he's a big target uh, to be able to, for uh, Zach Wilson to be able to utilize. But I've been surprised as the other wide receivers have stepped up. We've got Gunnar Romney that's really stepped up this year. Uh, Dax Milne, I had no idea that he was that good. Uh He's been very stellar. Um, So... Overall, I just think they're a very competitive team. You know, if they get matched up against one of the big Power 5 teams like in Alabama or Clemson, obviously there would have to be some crazy stars that would have to align for BYU to pull off an upset there. But I think they could be competitive with most other teams in the country. So, to be honest, before the season started, did you think Zach Wilson was even the starting quarterback? Like, would you have actually picked him over Jalen, uh, over, over a... Uh, Romney and, uh... I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I still would because I feel like he brings a different skill set to the table, like a different le- level of athleticism than Baylor Romney. And Jaron Hall, though. Jaren, I mean, he's State athletic, game, too. Hall, like, he's yeah, really good that's, ter- too, that's so. true. I don't know. I watched I watched those games. I was going into the season. I heard they, they were going to start Zach Wilson. I'm like, ah, I mean, I guess he's been the guy and, like, he can't bench people, but... I wasn't, I wasn't super confident with him going into the year, but pretty much immediately. Um, the first two games of the season, I was like, oh, this is a different cat. Like, he's he's gotten a lot better. And it's not just him. I think they, across the board, they are much, much better, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Like, as a Texas fan, I'm watching Texas and I'm watching BYU, and it's eternally frustrating to watch BYU have more talent <laughs> <laughs> or, at least, or at least, like, seem to have more talent. I'm, than Texas, which has Texas, one of the top recruiting which has, classes. Like, the fifth, of all the teams in the country, they have, like, the fifth highest, like, number of blue blue caliber um, athletes for five oh. stars. 
in their garbage this year. But I look at BYU's offensive front. Um, if I had to pick five, if I combined the Texas roster and the BYU roster and put them together, there would probably be only one Texas player I would have on the offensive line. All four of the rest of the positions would be BYU. I'm looking at wide receiver. The top two, at least, with Dax Mill and Gunnar Romney, have outperformed every wide receiver on Texas's roster to this point. And at running back, pretend, and I, I'd, I think I'd still take B. John Robinson for Texas just because of his talent level. At running back, the BYU's running backs have been solid. And quarterback, I would be taking Zach Wilson, like across the board. And then our defense is solid. they got a bunch of, of, of guys that tackle well. They're not super athletic, but they're in position and um, they just do what they need to do and keep people in front of them. And that's all they need for, as long as the offense is playing really well. And they're blowing people out. Yeah, too. that's so. another thing. Yeah, Brady, you mentioned the um, the running ability of BYU, and that's been something that's really impressed me this year because I'm used to seeing run, uh, BYU running plays going for two to three yards and uh-huh. never having anything past that. How much of that do you think is the offensive line and the running backs getting better, and, and how much of that is the offensive play calling? As It's a little bit of both because I think a lot of it's the offensive line because I remember when I was a freshman, there was a there was a – the, the starting offensive linemen were really undersized. They had to play a lot of freshmen. Um, the starting left tackle, Brady Christensen, who's going to be in the NFL draft, he's like a projected second or third rounder right now, he had to play as a freshman. He was only like 260 pounds or something like that. And whereas most like big-time offensive lines like BYU is now, they're all 300 pounds. And so they've, they've been undersized, I think, um, for a long time and just young. And this, this is the year that all those pieces have kind of come together. And they're on that zone blocking scheme, and especially against this lower competition with UTSA and, and uh, Texas State and those kind of schools. They've just been dominating the way that they should. So I think that's the main thing. I do think Jeff Grimes has been great. Like, I, like they run a lot of play action, and they run a lot of simple offense, but they run it all super efficiently and well. Like, everyone is where they need to be. Zach Wilson puts the ball. He, he knows where his wide receivers are going to be. He throws a lot of back shoulder throws, and they just have a lot of good connections, I think, because they keep it pretty simple. They just do simple routes and play action and do just a couple of zone running schemes, and or they're just do it really well, do it better than everyone else. Yeah, that's been something that I've noticed. Like, I don't know. Um, I am no an, not an expert by any means on offensive play calling and everything, but there's been some plays this season where I just have watched them I've just appreciated them because I'm like, you know, that's kind of Jeff Grimes coming out there just, like, designing a really good play that just got that player open. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just everyone is kind of coming together. And yeah. they look really good. And this is this is kind of how I expect BYU to look. Um, more on a regular basis. Maybe not quite this good because they look really good to me from just someone who watches a lot of football. But, um, yeah, it's nice for uh, – for a, for a change. Nice for a change, past yeah. Past few years. For sure. And then that kind of transitions, I guess, to they are, are we 8-0 right now? Uh-huh. Eight games? Yeah, 8-0 right now. Two games left, Northern Alabama and San Diego State. Both of those we're going to be favored by quite a bit. Like, mm-hmm. um, should definitely win those games. And we're looking at 10-0, ranked in the top 10, and projected right now through most analysts to be in a New Year's Six Bowl for the first time 
playing someone like Oregon or USC or, or uh, Miami or something like that in like the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl. So the question is, is it worth the risk to try to add someone else to the schedule? Or should we just stick with the 10 and 0, hopefully, and just be like, I'm fine with the New Year's, New Year's 6. I did not even really have those expectations going into the season. So I'll take that in my Heisman candidate quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard to say. Like, if that other team is the University of Utah, personally, as a BYU fan, I am rooting for that game to happen. Because yeah. although you're putting the, uh, the potential for a New Year's 6 bowl on the line, with having that extra game and the potential of losing that, I think it's more important for me as a BYU fan that we finally beat Utah. I've heard, you know, for the past, I mean, when was the last time we won? 2009? I think 2009 was the last time BYU beat Utah back when Max Hall was a quarterback. So it's been over a decade since BYU beat Utah in football. And so, and all, every BYU fan has heard the flag from Utah fans for this last decade. decade. And this this is something that needs to end. Like, I feel like that's more important than a college football, like um, a New Year's Six Bowl. I might be out of out of line there, but that's my thoughts. I don't know. It's hard for me because I don't hate I don't hate Utah a lot of the ways. Like most people. Well, it's not it's not like just the hatred of Utah. It's just it is though. But it is. What do you mean? But it is. The it is the hatred, it's hatred, the hatred of Utah. That's the only reason you play that game. Yeah. But here's the thing, though, because like BYU's independent, Utah went at the back 12, and BYU's kind of you know they're sour about that still, right? Like we yeah. want to be in the yeah. back 12 or the big 12 or something like that. So in this kind of season, Utah's been limited by first off their own two to COVID, and the Pac-12 in general <laughs> is own two to COVID. Yeah. So. It would be kind of nice to be like, you know what, Utah, we don't need you. We'll go 10-0 and go to the New Year's Six Bowl, and you can have your two games you get to play or whatever and not do anything. And also, not and imagine how insufferable they would be if they did win and um, they ruined our season. Yeah, on top that of, would on be. On top of making it 10 in a row, ruining our season out of only like three games they get to play. And we would get to go to like the Idaho Potato Bowl or like some useless yeah. bowl where we play Western Michigan. And it's like, that sucks. Like, as fun as that was, like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I can understand that argument. And I guess the other side of it, too, is since the Pac 12 has such crazy regulations, BYU would have to comply with those regulations, at yeah. least for the week leading up to the game. So the other part of it is, is it worth it to? You know, follow all those regulations because they do. They have to do daily COVID testing, yeah. which right now they're not doing that. They're doing, I think, three times a week or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So just stepping up all those things, and and then also for the potential for the game to get canceled at the last minute because of the coronavirus. Yeah. So that's the question too: Is it really worth it to be able to do? What, to what if do it's that? not Utah? What if it's Oregon? If it's Oregon, yeah. Like, and then if if you if you schedule Oregon, you play. Or I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, because I don't really think that benefits anyone other than maybe BYU. Other than BYU, if but they win. if they win, I don't think that's going to get them in anyways. They, I think they still need the same people to lose to get in. Yeah, which now, is everybody. would get them in yeah. over Cincinnati, because I do think, honestly, if you had to pick, a lot of people are, I'm glad a lot of people are high on BYU, and they should be because they are good just watching them. They're very talented, but 
from a resume standpoint, Cincinnati would definitely, I think, go in over BYU. They have several like high quality group of five wins, and they've won in the same way BYU has. Like they've dominated their teams they played. Let's see. Yeah, um, Cincinnati's beat SMU, Houston. So who else did they're, you have in mind? They're gonna play USF and Tulsa. They beat USF. Or UCF, sorry, UCF. Oh, UCF. Okay, but still, that doesn't seem like a very strong resume to me, like it's compared not to BYU. Super strong, but like. And I mean, Houston is also a team that we've beaten. Right. So. But like, the only team really looking at BYU schedule that is really very good is Boise State. Boise State's good. That's true. Uh, Navy's been very good. Like, and a lot of these other schools are little bitty schools that like the state, Western Kentucky, like, there's not very good. Yeah. Generally, they will be. Uh, San Diego State is okay. But, like, we'd have one, maybe one and a half good wins. I'll be honest, I'll say two. I'll say, yeah, one and a half. Oh, yeah. Houston a quarter, and maybe a quarter. And then Boise State was a good win. And then San Diego State would be another half? And if only they didn't lose to San Jose by, State. Oh my gosh. Who are undefeated, but also. But trying to tell me San Jose State's good, like. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Anyways. Course, I yeah. So I don't know. I just okay. don't know if it's worth it for them. Yeah, that's true. I could understand the Utah argument. I mean, I guess yeah, I could understand the Utah argument. I don't. I would don't think I'd want to play Oregon. I think I'll just take my six. Yeah. Two. I'll play them. If it's anyone, anyone but Utah. Any, and then yeah, there's still some questions even if it is Utah. Honestly, maybe we just we just kind of cruise through, stay undefeated, and then hopefully win the bowl game, and then we can just declare ourselves yeah. national champions. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just go all that. UCF. Yeah, on them. That. I don't think the school will, but I will definitely. I will self-proclaim BYU national champions. Like I was, I was at BYU when they were national champions, and when they were national champions, and they were like, they're probably thinking like, you were there in 1984. And then you're going to be like, no, 2020. We're your national champions. <laughs> yeah, that might, that might lead to a little bit of confusion. But... Yeah, and you can tell that to all the Utah fans. I'm sure they'll like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they'd like that. They'd probably say they're national champions in uh, 2007. Oh, yeah. So they missed their chance. They didn't declare it. Yep. The office. I declare... In the what? In the office? I don't remember. I don't remember. I declare bankruptcy. No. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. I don't remember. Never okay. Mind. Moving on. Anyways. Okay. Well. Well, so I guess that also kind of brings up what we also wanted to talk about later was, um, you know, this year because of the weirdness of the coronavirus and how that's impacted the season. A lot of teams that maybe shouldn't be getting the shot for the college football playoff are getting the shot, and a lot of teams that should get the shot aren't. So, what do you, what are, what would your thoughts be about possibly extending or expanding the college football playoff just for this season alone? See, that's the important caveat to that is it's definitely I, I would definitely consider it for this season specifically, yeah. just how weird it is and people's schedules being weird and games canceling and. It's hard to tell even who was really very good. Um, so I would I would consider that for this season. Um, 
I mean, all the other major sports have changed, changed their formats. The NFL is changing their playoff format. MLB let more people in, and they're the most like stringent. We're not changing anything ever, and they changed their format. The NBA went to a bubble. Like everything has been different, and to to not change just that little bit for this particular season, and to declare it, you, they can they can make it perfectly clear that like we are going back to a four team playoff next season. This is only for this season for the foreseeable future. Totally fine with that because I don't think it should be eight teams um, going forward. Yeah, after this season. Yeah, I think that would be good because part of what I think that would accomplish is some of the teams that are probably going to get into the college football playoff, like the teams that started later from the Big Ten and the Pac-12, that have that better chance, they have more of an opportunity to prove themselves if there's an, uh, an expanded playoff. So they have to like play in to actually get to where they say they're supposed to be. Because I'm not convinced that there's any good teams in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 yet. I think we could probably say Ohio State's good. That was probably the only safe... Yeah, I mean, they've only played... The safe one, but they've games? only played... They've played three. Three games? No. Okay. And, I mean, no one... No one, no one good. good. They haven't played anyone good yet. But, I mean, just just because they're Ohio State, we'll yeah. say that Maybe good. Wisconsin. Maybe Wisconsin, but, too. But, like I say... But, like... And at this point, Ohio State's like third or something. Mm-hmm. In like, yeah. They're third, and they're 3-0. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's ridiculous. Honestly. That is ridiculous. Uh, even though I know that they are one of the best teams. Like, yeah. I don't think there's very much arguing going on on who the top four teams are, really. It should be Clemson, in no particular order here, Clemson, Alabama, Notre Dame, and uh, Ohio State. Like, those mm-hmm. are the four best teams. But I don't. I, I hate the argument of like just picking the four best teams. That's not what sports is. You don't just analyze who you think is the best team. Otherwise, the Patriots, the year they lost to the, the Giants when they were undefeated, they would have been the Super Bowl champions. Because guess what? The Giants won, but like we know the Patriots are the better team. Yeah. So they just get to beat the Super Bowl champion. Like that's not how it works. They lost. Mm, yeah. And so if you only play four or five games and you didn't play anybody good then why should they go in over BYU, who has played a bunch of games? Like, but they just get to go in because they're Ohio State and just because, like, because we think they're better. Like, that's not a good argument. And that's not that's not particular. I know I'm biased in this situation because BYU this season is in the mix, but even disregarding that, I think that that holds true. So. Yeah, because I think part of it is that those teams – from the Power Five conferences aren't going to have as much opportunities to lose. I know that sounds weird, but, you know, BYU needs those teams to have enough hard games so they could possibly lose one or two games yeah. to give them a shot, to give them an opportunity. I will say, so, I, will say I don't think BYU should get in the college football player, even if they go yeah. undefeated, even if they beat Utah or Oregon or something like one one. If they pick up someone school, from the Pac-12, yeah. I don't think, like, I don't think they have the resume. I think they yeah. should definitely be in a New York Six. And if there was an 18 playoff, they should definitely be in the 18 playoff. But for a 14 playoff, I don't think they have. I don't think you can legitimately argue them over um, a team like like if uh, if Florida wins the SEC, you can kick Alabama out. And if Clemson beats Notre Dame, you can kick Notre Dame out with their only loss being to the team they already beat once in mm-hmm. Clemson. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I just don't think they have quite the resume, but 
but it's a it's an interesting discussion. I would definitely think the plan will be good for this year, but in the future it's not really needed. So I like my high drama regular season circles for all. Where there's so much weight on like one game, like yeah. Alabama Georgia game is yeah. always going to be so much weight hanging on that with college football yeah. playoff implications. Right. So I yeah I, I agree. I like that too. I would consider maybe in the future adopting a, a six game play a six team playoff where the top two seeds have a bye, and then the bottom four seeds have to play each other to get in. Because then you don't have because there's always that hard cutoff like who gets the fourth spot, right. you know. And there's always going to be a few teams that are going to be in that conversation. So if you just expand it a little bit and they have to play in to earn that third and fourth spot, I think that would possibly make it a little bit more inter interesting. Uh, granted, that's adding another game and onto the season. And, you know, there might be arguments about doing that. But I mean, that's more money, right? Money. Yeah. I mean, there'll be money. people like, there will, arguing yeah. about There will be people arguing whatever, about but, like, It's good for them. If they're, gonna, they're the ones that... NCAA creates the system. Right? Mm -hmm. so, it's, not, it's good for them. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I guess that... That was all my thoughts. Yeah, that kind of wraps up our discussion about, about the college football and, and BYU's hopes being dashed, really. This was the year that it could have all happened for if we played too. all those teams. Yeah. Well, and who knows what the basketball season is going to shape up to be like this year. Like, I mean, it doesn't seem like we have big strength of schedule in the basketball arena either. Like, we'll have Gonzaga always. That's a consistent... I they have a couple games. I feel like they have a couple... Um... I guess... Yeah. Yeah, what, what are some of the best games that BYU has this season? I mean, obviously they play Gonzaga mm -hmm. a couple times. And it'll be St. Mary's, although I don't know if St. Mary's is going to be quite the team. Um, yeah, I don't think they're quite getting the recruiting that they have in the past. After, after watching them last year, they have um, uh, Fitz was their power forward. Is that his name? Locke? No, he, yeah, I think it's Fitz. He dropped, he dropped like 30-some points on us. Yeah, I know. Anyway. I didn't know. Any, that guy. They have that guy, and he's gone. He went to the draft. I don't think he got drafted, but he, uh, he's gone. And I didn't really see anyone else that was particularly impressive watching them last year. That doesn't mean they won't surprise me, but I'm not super concerned about them. Um, they have they played their first three games this next week, actually. They play Westminster, New Orleans and UVU, so those are all mm -hmm. kind of cupcakes. They should win those games pretty well. But then they go, um, they play USC, and then depending if they win that game, they play the winner of Connecticut and somebody else. Is they're they're doing one of those fourteen, mm -hmm. one of those fourteen uh, playoffs, playoff kind of deal. Okay. So those are those are a couple. So those would be some good ones. Teams. You see, USC is ranked right in the preseason polls. Not in the one I have. No, it doesn't. ESPN doesn't show that they're ranked, but oh, they're okay. in another poll. Okay. They play. They play Utah, who is supposed to be all right. They play at San Diego State, who will be good. Boise State, actually, I've I've heard they're going to be all right as well. Um, as a Mountain West, um, and then pretty much is conference play. So they get Gonzaga yeah. a couple times. They get St. Mary's a couple times. At San Diego State, Utah, Boise State, Utah at Utah State. Well, that might be a neutral site game. I'm not sure. I think they might be playing that in the uh, maybe it's Weber State. 
They play the the, the classic in the uh, in the Vivint. Yeah, the Smart Home Arena. I think that's actually the Utah State game or Weber State game. They play that. So they have a few teams that are all right. But you're right. There's not. Yeah. There's not a lot of ranked teams. Um, their schedule was probably a little harder last year. They ended up playing Kansas and uh, mm-hmm. San Diego State and a few other teams that were ranked really high. But I think they have their their roster is totally different. They, it's really uh, turned over quite a bit. They lost a lot from last year, but they bring in um, the big man from Purdue, um, who's seven two seven three big wingspan, mm-hmm. averages like two shot blocks a game. On top of he just has good touch. He can shoot. He's a, from mid range and long range. Pretty talented, not super mobile, but mobile enough. Um, they have they're bringing back um, who's the guard Alex Barcelo, who I'm assuming will take a, kind of a step up. I know he's really talented, but he didn't really have to do very much last year. Yeah, he was mainly like a three and D kind of guy. Three and D kind of guy, and they bring in Jesse Wade, mm-hmm. who's a transfer from Gonzaga. Well, he's I'm so really talented. excited about yeah, because um, we watched him in the exhibition. Like the preseason exhibition that the WAU did last year, uh-huh. and he looked really good. He looked very sharp on mm-hmm. offense. I think they're going to need him to step up because they lost a lot between uh, Paws and um, Toulson. And Toulson, Lee. yeah, they're going to have to have and and Yoli. Like they get, they lost a lot. They lost everyone. Mm-hmm. They're all their production pretty much. So they're going to have to have some people step up and be playmakers, not just shooters or be able to just work in the post. Like they need to. They need to have some playmakers on this team. I'm, I'm expecting Alex Barcelo, Brandon Averett, who mm-hmm. really athletic. If you're, uh, if you've seen some of his highlights. He's kind of small, but he's really fast, really athletic guy, good vision. Um, so between him, Jesse Wade, and Barcelo, it's a pretty good group of guards that if they can step up. And, and, and then they have a bunch of height, like I say, mm-hmm. with, uh, bringing back um, Gavin Baxter mm-hmm. and bringing back uh, Colby Lee as well and then they have the transfer from UVU I forget his name um, but he's a big 6'11 energy rebounding block shot Richard shot Howard yeah, was it? Har- Richard Howard yes yeah, that's the guy mm-hmm. so they got him they got Gideon George mm-hmm. I believe is his name big mm-hmm. athletic long wingspan defensive another 3 and D kind of role player um, bringing him in as well and then oh, there's one more player uh, Caleb Lohner. Caleb Lohner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He looks pretty good, too. He, he does look good. Talented. He's another one of those talented talent freshmen, yeah. And they got a bunch of guys who, if they can just mold it all together, and that seems to be kind of every time I hear interviews with uh, Coach Pope and the players, they all seem to talk about the team culture and how they all buy in to playing together. And we really saw that last year, how well they moved the ball on offense and uh, made those hustle plays on defense. And people – Taking different roles, like Zach Selius playing in the post. I mean, he's a, he's a guard coming out mm-hmm. of high school and said, We need you to play the post, we need you to play this flex position, and, and, and those kind of players who will, who are willing to make those sacrifices. So, if they can fit everyone together, they got a lot of talent, even though it's a lot of different people, a lot of different players, where I think they could be pretty good. They have a chance of, I still don't think they're going to win the conference. Like, Gonzaga's just too good, but. Mm-hmm. They should be second. If they're not second, I think I'd be disappointed to see them. Especially where St. Mary's is good. Especially where St. Mary's is what we think to be down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but we'll see next week. Their first game is uh, Wednesday the 25th. It's right after um, 
right before Thanksgiving against yeah, Westminster. So yeah, excited about that. I'm excited for the college basketball season to get rolling. Yeah, it's been too long. We'll have to do a breakdown pretty soon. There's is there volleyball, soccer, the things that BYU is actually good at. Oh, so I haven't even thought about yeah. those things, you know. Yeah. So we'll have to we'll see because we'll BYU got down. robbed of their men's volleyball championship last year. Yeah, they were yeah, looking. They were going to win that. They were, yeah. They were, they were one, looking. Right? Yeah, they were number one. Yeah. When the season ended. So, so really a pretty good time for BYU sports. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to starting the basketball season and finishing off the uh, football season. That's enough, I think. Yeah. I think uh, we need like, to finish off this segment with the uh, Cougar sound effect. Would you mind demonstrating that? For us, Brady. Sound yeah, the effect. sound effect they make every, after every first down. No, I can't do that. Come on, you got I it. I don't have Sarah here. We'll bring Sarah in. Okay, Sarah will be our sound this effect is person. This is the first time, so we're we don't know okay. how to do any of the sound effects or any of the fancy transitions yet or anything. So we're gonna make we're making our own, and we're Brady. We're gonna make our own, or we're gonna have Sarah do them for us. That's why I wanted you to do it, Brady. Like from a vocal standpoint, not like. Well, we'll work on our sound effects, but until next time... Alright, welcome back to the Pick and Roll podcast. Um, to start off, I feel like we need to clarify why our podcast is named the way it is. We failed to do that in our opening segment, I just realized. So, obviously, I'm a point guard. Maybe not obviously because you. It's not obvious because you can't see Brady and how much taller than he is than me. Huh? Yeah, they also can't see me. If you were to see me right now, it would be obvious that I'm the point guard and Brady is the center. So when we play basketball, we run a lot of pick and roll, and I would say we run it pretty well. Yeah, we're pretty good at it. So that's why we wanted to name our podcast the Pick and Roll Podcast because it really like personifies kind of our. Our relationship, maybe through like sports. feedback, back and forth. Yeah, through sports. Yeah. Also, so we just wanted to be clever, and we thought that was yeah. clever. Yeah, it's a catchy name. So, it sounds we are good. Because you're graduating. Mm-hmm. I'm hopefully well. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we'll cross our fingers on that. Hope. Yeah. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, anyways, so jumping into our um, next segment, uh, we wanted to discuss the NBA draft because. That's a big topic of discussion this week among sports fans, as it always is every year. The NBA draft, I feel like, does a very good job of showmanship, I guess you could say, and like really attracting people's attention. Yeah. The whole offseason, really. Yeah, really the whole yeah. offseason. Like, none of the other sports do such a good job at the NBA as like building up the drama and everything yeah, for, for sure. their offseason. Because, sure. honestly, like for the NFL draft... Well, number one, the NFL draft is so long, it's hard for me to have any type of interest towards it, really. Like, I, I see who got picked at number one days. overall. Yeah. So, that's another thing. But, yeah, the NBA draft is just very fun. Very fun to be able to. More fun than the regular season. That's the problem. Honestly, it is. Like, <laughs> well, and free agency, like, all the moving yeah, pieces, I mean. just all, thinking, all like, oh, yeah. what if this happened? Yeah. Like, this would be cool. And thinking about all the different player combinations, but then the regular season is kind of like, you know, not as entertaining. Then playoffs is a little bit better, you know. We kind of so it's kind of like a roller coaster a little bit with the NBA. But anyways, so we wanted to discuss um, this NBA draft and what our thoughts were on it. Um, so I guess to start off, Brady, what were what maybe surprised you from this year's draft? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things that weren't super surprising for those that don't know. Anthony Edwards from Georgia, first overall. I thought that was a good pick. Um, dude's really athletic and impressive to watch when he's at Georgia. And James Wiseman from Memphis, second overall to the year Golden State Warriors. And Lamella Ball, um, the brother of Lonzo and the son of whatever that guy's name is, who I don't care about. I don't remember his. Yeah, Lavar. Says he can beat Mike, Michael Jordan on one on one. And guess and guess who drafted? It is Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets. It's Charlotte Hornets. Yep. So that, I mean, that's what I want. You want drama? Can we televise that? Yes. Can we I please would, televise watch that? that one on one. I I'd uh, pay per view that. Yeah, I, I might. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah, I would not. I not might just just to see what's his name be more shut up even than he has the past year or two, which has been nice. Yeah. Anyways, so those were kind of expected. Those were like the top three guys who were, you know, that was like the cream of the crop. Everyone else is kind of not so sure about. And then right after that, honestly, was my first surprise with Patrick Williams getting picked by the Bulls uh, out of Florida State. Uh, athletic guy, has seven foot wingspan, six eight, stand six eight, guard, has potential, but he didn't even start for Florida State. Not, a, not, not a single game. Not a single game. It says on ESPN he's posted the worst assist-to-turnover ratio among projected draft picks who aren't big men. And so he's really raw, and they just have him projected as like kind of a 3-and-D uh, combo guard. And so, I mean, I guess you don't have anything to lose if you're the Bulls. You're not any good, and you won't be any good anytime soon, so you might as well pick a guy with a higher ceiling maybe just because he's really young, but, dang, like, he didn't even get on the floor hardly for Florida State, like, I don't know how you can argue that he would be the fourth overall pick. I know, yeah, looking back at his season, he had some good moments, but there's nothing throughout his season that you could say, like, really defined him as a number four pick in the 2020 draft, so, and I feel like normal years, you could make the arguments like, oh, he performed really well in the combine, or, oh, he performed really well practicing with the teams, but as we know, because of the coronavirus this year, that stuff didn't really happen. So I don't understand how someone like that climbs up so far in the draft. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. That was my. That was the first thing that stood out to me. Uh, weird thing about this draft. The second one was Obi Toppin. He fell a little bit. I guess he was only projected at number six, but he ended up going number eight to the Knicks, which I guess that's his. I think that's his hometown. He's from there, so like that's cool for mm -hmm. him. But no yeah. one really wants to go to the Knicks. So that's not great for him. So that sentence. Play for the Knicks. <laughs> and also, he's a power forward, and the Knicks have like Julius Randle. They got a bunch of power forwards. Yeah, that's their whole team. Like that's they they drafted a power forward, which I think he's talented, and I, I like I'm surprised he actually dropped. I thought he'd go a couple picks before, but yeah, I just thought that was a weird, weird situation. No, that was the biggest surprise for me for this draft too, because. Obi Toppin, he was the one award winner this last year, and you would expect someone of that uh, caliber to go higher in the draft, and especially above some of these other players that, you know, just didn't seem to be as impressive throughout this last year. Because Obi Toppin, I feel like he was really impressive. There was definitely, um, he had the stats to, like, stand out to win the wooden award and everything. So that, that did surprise me, as well as... Um, a few other um, second rounders that I thought were potentially going to be first rounders. 
Um, for example, let's see, what do we have? We have um, Trey Jones. Trey Jones. He the he Spurs. went in the second round. Spurs yeah. But yeah, the Spurs. That see, that's the kind of player the Spurs always yeah, pick up, right? Sure. They always get those players that everyone else passed up on, and they end up being really good. So we'll have to see. Um, Nico Mannion from Arizona. He was one of the um, most recruited um, players from his high school class. And, yeah, I don't know. He's not, like, super good, but I would still expect him to go higher than 48th pick in the second round, you know. And then Cassius Winston, as well, is another surprise that who went in the second round. Yeah. Which is understandable, you know, because of his size. He's little. He's a small guy. So, you know, that's obviously, you know, a reason why a lot of teams would pass up on him. But still, you know, one of the top players um, in college basketball this last year. So went so low. So, yeah. Was there any other... Um, I guess another question is, who do you think got the biggest steal from this draft? Like, who do you think got the best pick out of their um, their selection? That's a harder one for me to answer because there's a lot of the guys in the first round. Like, there's several dudes from, like, Israel and France and... and some people that like, I don't really know. I, I don't honestly don't know if they're going to be very good. I don't know enough about them. I know one kid I really liked out of Maryland went to the Suns, uh, Jalen Smith. Yeah, Jalen Smith, yeah. He was, I just watched him play in college a few times. He was very impressive. He's a 72 wingspan, big dude. They still have um, they still have the uh, the other big DeAndre dude, Ayton. DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. So, like, you can pair those two together. They just got Chris Paul. They still have uh, who, who's the wing? They're, they're dude who scores like eight points a game. Um, Devin Booker. Devin Booker. Like that's that's a, they're starting to maybe put some yeah. things together. If uh, uh, Chris Paul doesn't have very many years left, but he can be a stopgap um, and be a good solid option for mm-hmm. push for the playoffs this next season. So that was a pretty good pick for me um, in the first round. And you look kind of at the second round. Uh, I kind of already mentioned Trey Jones for the Spurs, good solid point guard, and then um, another one was uh, I think Cassius Stanley from Duke. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he was kind of he was kind of picked where he was rated at, but just watching him, he's really he's a big leaper, forty four inch vertical, um, big strong dude. I think he could be uh, have a pretty high potential as a really strong role player to be able to get that guy late in the second round that's, I feel like that's pretty good for them yeah I agree um, the biggest player that came to mind to me, uh, for me was Jalen Smith because he's just a, such a unique player and he's multidimensional which is so important in today's NBA for a big guy to be able to step out and shoot the three mm-hmm. and he also has been able he's shown the ability to put the ball on the floor a little bit which is another important thing that uh, power forwards are having to do more now. Yeah. So, to me, that was the biggest still of the draft. But another thing that surprised me was how late um, Emmanuel Quickly from Kentucky went in the draft as well. I thought he was one of the top guards this year in college basketball. Granted, we didn't have the entire season to be able to really analyze that, but both Quickly and um, Tyrese Maxey from Kentucky, I feel like those two players also kind of surprised me. And I feel like those two players could be franchise players moving on forward in the NBA. 
honestly, like, who knows? We never know at this yeah. point going to the draft, but yeah. it did surprise me how low they were, they dropped. Yeah, that's fair. So, so yeah. There's a couple of dudes actually that didn't get drafted that I, I was a little surprised by. Uh, one was Killian Tilly from mm. Gonzaga. Gonzaga. The way the NBA's moving, where you're needing big dudes who can shoot, Killian yeah. Tilly could stroke it. That guy, yeah. like, watching him play for Gonzaga, obviously I watched I watch BYU basketball, so I played and see Gonzaga play a lot. He, when he was on, he was really good from deep. He's like six ten, mobile, can defend different positions. Uh, not, maybe not all the positions, but he can rotate through a decent amount on defense. I think whoever picks him up in free agency, as long as he's, I think his main concerns were health. He's had a lot of injuries. Mm, but if he can yeah. stay healthy, that could be a a, a steal. That after the draft. And the second one was more biased was Yoli Childs. Mm -hmm, yeah. Where you were hoping to get another BYU uh, player drafted. They only they've only had like four players drafted ever. I think BYU's program they've they've been consistently like respected but never outstanding um, in basketball really. And we were hoping to get another group uh, drafted this uh, this week, but that didn't happen. Yeah, that would have been nice. I think the Jazz should have picked him up, you know. At least they boost their, you know, a lot of their fan base, obviously, is BYU fans. So yeah. maybe a bit of a crowd pleaser. But I think the Jazz made the right decision in going with uh, Yudoka Azubuki. Yeah. I think that's sure. another big steal from the draft because at least you know what you're getting in him. You know that yeah. you're getting a very athletic big man who's going to be able to, number one, run the floor and then also be a shot-blocking presence. Yeah. Um, and who knows what's happening to Rudy Gobert this season. Yeah. If they lose him, he'll be a good pickup. It's perfect for them because he fits. Of all the teams that are running small ball, Utah still has a true center in Rudy mm -hmm. Gobert. And so he is someone that really can back up and they can run the same system with Gobert. And, and like I say, if they end up, uh, if Gobert leaves, he could be a potential replacement. And he is a big dude. I remember watching him last year when they played BYU just it just stood out to me how huge how he was huge he Kobe is. Lee was guarding him Kobe Lee looks like a 45 year old man like he is a man he's like like just a big Idaho farmer guy yeah and standing next to Asbuchman he looked like a little kid I know that guy, is, that guy is a true center like big man to to fear on defense if he can if he can uh, defend the pick and roll well yeah, he's seven feet tall, 270 pounds. And what I feel like would be really great is if Rudy Gobert did stay another year. I think that would be ideal for him to, number one, um, kind of serve as an understudy for Rudy Gobert to kind of see, you know, how uh, Rudy Gobert has evolved to be such a good um, defensive presence and also run the offense with the pick and roll the way that the Jazz do. Um, and I feel like it would be much better for the Jazz to have him as the backup center than Tony Bradley because... Just, it's just been such an obvious change. Whenever Rudy Gobert comes out of the game this last year for the Utah Jazz, it's obviously suffering on both ends, defensively and offensively, just because they're not able to run um, their offense the same way, and everything just looks different. So I feel like um, Azubuki will be able to better fit that mold yeah. and you know serve as that backup center so there's not as much of a drop-off when sure. Gobert hits the bench. And less of a risk of foul trouble, maybe. If, if, if Azubuki can pan out, especially quickly, and fill that role, mm -hmm. that gives Gobert and himself and Azubuki more uh, 
opportunity to be aggressive on defense, mm-hmm. which plays to their strengths. One more player that I wanted to talk about, um, how they might fit into their future system, is maybe someone you might not want to talk about as much, but I, as a Golden State Warriors fan, want to talk about is James Wiseman. So James Wiseman's coming out of Memphis. He only played three games in um, college this last year because of all the weird surrounding circumstances with their last season. Um, what do you think about James? the pickup of James Wiseman for the Golden State Warriors? It's definitely an interesting one. Um, I just don't know enough about him. Obviously, he's 7-1. He's he has a 7-5 wingspan. He's a big guy uh, with, some, with ball skills. Like He's mm-hmm. definitely deserving to be a top three pick. Um, someone Maybe a comp to Seventy um, uh, ers Joel Embiid, mm-hmm, yeah. maybe DeAndre Ayton, like those kind of big, talented uh, centers. Who I, I just don't know exactly how he fits into the Golden State mold. Um, you watched them a lot more than I have, so you might have better opinion on, on that situation. I mean, my opinion is if. JaVale McGee can fit into the mold of the Warriors system. They can make they can make James he, he, James he Wiseman in, fit. He, he fit into their mold with Kevin Durant. Yeah, like anyone I could have fit into their, his mold with Kevin Durant was playing. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I mean, they would have just played small ball. Kevin Durant would be a five, and I'd just stand in the corner and occasionally throw it to me. I'd just practice threes every day. That's all I had to do. Okay, maybe that's a discussion for another day. We'll, we'll, we'll table that discussion for another day to see if Brady could actually fit into the Golden State let's Warriors not, let's, system. Let's not, let's not do that. But anyways, it's not, it's not but I, I think what I'm saying is, um, basically, I think what the Warriors are looking for is just an athletic big man who can go run the floor, get boards, and, I mean, maybe stretch the floor a little bit, you know, which it seems like James Wiseman has his shooting uh, technique looks like it's uh, like he's got, got good fundamentals. It's not painful to watch like some of the other big men that we have in the league. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. Maybe a little bit too optimistic. I fear that, you know, James Wiseman might not pan out. It might be like a Greg Oden situation where he's projected to be really good and you're thinking like, what could be wrong? He's an athletic big man. He's got all these skills. But then, you know, you know, you never know what happens, like injuries or different things, plague um, his career, and yeah, we'll just have to see. Yeah, I mean, it'd be pretty dangerous if if he does pan out to have a yeah a Curry Wiseman Curry Wiseman combo. I mean, this yeah. is the pick and roll podcast. I feel like I should definitely be supporting the pick and roll. I do support. He is a traditional big man. I support him. He is going to be. He's going to succeed. We need more yeah. of those. We need someone with some skill in the paint. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely room for big men in the NBA, in today's NBA. Many people say that those days are gone, but, you know, I beg to differ. So, so yeah. So, Brady, something that I was thinking about as I was watching the NBA draft um, this last uh, week is how painful it is, how long it takes. Because I'm sitting there... I ended up only watching through the first 15 picks because each team gets five minutes to make their pick, and it just like kind of drags on. And my you question watch, is: like, the TV broadcast? I watched the TV broadcast. Like, yeah, the I was watching thing. it. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's good. yeah. At least for the first little bit, but then it just starts to bore you after a while. Yeah. So um, 
I guess my question is, why do they need the five minutes every time to make their selection? Is it, have they not been spending the last few months figuring out who they're going to pick? Are they really having that many discussions with all these other teams? Like, oh, do, we, do you want to trade this person for this person? And then we, you can move up in the draft? Like, what's happening there? I mean, there was several moves in the draft, right? Like, there was several... Yeah, but you would assume those teams have talked about that before, you know, before those five yeah, minutes I'm are sure taking place. I'm sure that there was discussion leading up to that, like, hey, we could potentially, like... But their decisions are based on the decisions that happened before them. Right, like we just we I just did a whole segment about all these people that dropped really far in, and that went up higher than we thought they were going to be. So, like the Knicks, I don't know if the Knicks were actually going to get Toppin, for example. I doubt that they were like, you know what, we need we need a power forward. That's what we need in this draft. But they probably just got to the eight, and, and they're like, no he's the best person. Yeah, someone has. To, we might as well get him. Like he's the best player. So, I do understand what it should be. I don't know. I don't know if this is how it works. You can tell me on the, on TV uh, if this is how it works on the actual broadcast. But it seems like some teams probably could make the pick immediately. Like they they have their board, they have their guy. The guy is available. Just make the pick. Like just take yeah. thirty seconds and just make the pick. See, but that never happens. But then never happens. They, they always wait, wait the until the time. last second, and then a lot of times, like even after the timer's up, they're like still haven't got their pick in. I'm like. Well, you, there should be a point where they have to forfeit the pick. That, if they, that would be exciting. That would be exciting. Yeah, that so that's what I'm exciting. saying. Yeah, that could be a potential reform. One thing that could be is it could be TV things because it's they're making it a TV program. Yeah, and so they need time for two or three hours and, and have all these commercials in there. And they gotta have their commercials, and so if, yeah. you, if everyone just did it in thirty seconds, then ESPN would be like boom, 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 boom. That's the way I would like it, though. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think ESPN sponsors would like it. You know, that's maybe true. But do you know what I thought of? Could be a good reform to make those five minutes more exciting. I think what we should do... You're scared, aren't you? I think what we should do is we should have someone from the front office of each of these teams, like the general manager or something, they have to go and they have to, during those five minutes, they have to shoot three-pointers or free throws. And they have to make a certain number of shots... To get their pick. If they don't reach that number of makes, they forfeit their pick. I feel like that would be more exciting. What are your thoughts on that? So the, so the GM is not in the room with everyone making decisions about <laughs> He's shooting hoops. He's, he's shooting hoops shooting, out there. Did you say three-pointers? Yeah, maybe the head coach. We could have the head coach or something. Shooting three-pointers. There would be nothing I would like more than seeing a bunch of fat old men Going out on the basketball court and trying to shoot three pointers so that they could get the pick that they wanted. And have the Van Gundys out there shooting threes. Dude, I would die for that. I think some of them might actually. Die. <laughs> some of them might die from they it. Might yeah. Die from that. I remember Stan Van Gundy on um, the Dan Levitard show when they were doing an interview with him. They said he said that he was sweating just shooting free throws, like he was physically sweating. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think that would be very entertaining. A much better use of that five minutes than just talking about whatever ends up coming up in the conversation. I mean, yeah. How long did you think about that idea? How long has that idea been pressing your mind? I mean, that just came to me. I was like, what could we be doing in this five minutes that'd be better? And I think that would be great. You could have just said anything in the world. I mean, anything. 
But that would be so funny, I think, to watch all those it old would. guys go out there and I shoot hoops. And that would be I exciting would too. It. Like if I they miss, better. if they miss those shots and they forfeit yeah. their pick, and then someone else picks up the next play. Do they have their boss as the owner sitting behind him, and if he misses and they don't get the first overall pick, he's just fired? Like he just walks off? I mean, probably. Yeah. So does that? So you have to pick your GM. Based on, on the shooting of it. Yep. <laughs> I think this would be, yeah, this would be great. And, oh man, the Charlotte Hornets, Michael Jordan comes out. Well, he's not, he's not, the, but he I, it's just someone that. from the front office. Just make anyone, anyone can okay. do it from the front office. You elect well, someone. Then you just hire so it's, someone that's good at three pointers. And then it's not fun because they all do it. You can't be so there's flaws. There's the flaws. Or like the general, it has to be like, Maybe there needs to be a height and weight restrictions, so it has to be someone yeah, like Stan I'm Van sure, Gundy out going sure out there. Aggressive NBA would love to create <laughs> height and weight restrictions. For that. <laughs> Just bringing in a whole new yeah. wave of discrimination. Yeah. That's, yep. That fits their Which. Now, yep. So maybe that's not what 2020 reform is all about. <laughs> Well, do you have any potential reforms that would make the NBA draft more exciting? No. No? no. Well, then I think my idea is the best we got then. No. no. Okay. So I'll, I'll pitch my idea to Adam Silver and I'll see what he thinks. Yeah. And we'll go from there. Once we have like four or five followers, maybe it'll reach him. <laughs> four or five, you think? No. Like, we got all these listeners. Yeah. You all have listeners. to listen to us. Okay. Um... Something else that I was thinking about with looking at this draft class coming in this year. So another thought that I had regarding the NBA draft, looking at this year's draft class, was how it uh, shapes up to previous draft classes. And honestly, looking at it, it doesn't seem like this was a very strong draft class. There's no one that really stands out as someone who's going to be a potential star in the NBA. Um, but it got me thinking about, you know, what were, what have been some of the top draft classes that we've had in the history of the NBA? So I have completed the official top five draft classes, according to me. So it's obviously very reputable. Um, it wouldn't, so, be, it wouldn't be a sports podcast without a top five. <laughs> without list. a top five list. So that's what we're doing. And this the is pretty much... Podcasting. This is pretty much what the top five is. Like, this is law. Just kidding. So, yeah, in my opinion, this is what the top five should be. So before I start my top five, I just want to give an honorable mention to the uh, 1984 draft class. They didn't quite make it it's into my top five. I maybe... Okay, go ahead. The 1984? I'll let you keep going. All right, here. Okay. So that draft class, it had um, players like Hakeem Olajuwon, Michael Jordan, and Charles Barkley, which are all yeah, Hall of Famers. Mind. Yeah, never mind. Honorable mention. I don't want to hear your But you have to hear the rest of my top five. five. That's like and see, here's, here's why this made, only made That's an honorable mention. That's going to be my top mention. one, two, three. I know. But here's, here's why they only made an honorable mention. I had to look at the entire draft and the strength <laughs> of the draft class. The entire draft? I mean, I scrolled through, okay. and I saw who That's was good. there. And they were very, they were very close, but they would have only been fifth, because the other man, you just wait, just wait until right. I get to my, to my top ones. You'll have to see. So, but the the real hard decision was in between the fifth and the honorable mention. So fifth place, um, I have the two thousand three. 
NBA draft, okay. which it was a great draft because, and the reason why I feel like I chose this one over the 1984 draft was the way that it shaped the league for really the next 20 years. And it's continuing to shape the league because um, the picks we have for that draft, LeBron James went number one, Carmelo Anthony three, Chris, ba Chris Bosh four, Dwayne Wade five. And so those were all players that really led the NBA throughout these last 20 years. And the so the hard the reason why they're further down on the list though is because you know beyond them there there wasn't a lot of uh, strength in the draft class um, like a lot of other a lot of the other players aren't really worth mentioning but but because of those guys I decided to put them in there. So that's number five. He's worth mentioning. Pachulia. Oh, I forgot. Chris Kamen. Chris Kamen. No, no. Let's not even get started with that. Okay, so that is number five. Number four. Yeah, I forgot to do drum roll on the first one. What was I thinking? <laughs> number four was... Okay, number four was the 2009 NBA draft. And you might disagree with me on this one, but I think this one was one of the best as well because we had Blake Griffin, James Harden, uh, Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, um... And then some other like kind of uh, middle tier players like Jeff Teague, Drew Holiday, um, Brandon Jennings, yeah, and Ricky Rubio. So I feel like I mean I might be prejudiced being the Golden State fan that I am with Steph Curry being in there, but that was a pretty good draft class as well. So you have the most hated player of all time, the most loved player of all time. Well, not the most loved of all time, but the highest paid player. Loved, everybody loves yeah. And Blake Griffin, too. Most people like Blake yeah. Griffin. And then DeMar DeRozan. You, you got all of DeMar DeRozan yeah. being the Spurs yeah, fan. I so. love DeMar DeRozan. All so. contested mid-range jumpers. Who just uh, um, re-signed his contract, by the yeah, way. That's so. good. So good that's news. good. Yeah. Anyway, so that's number four. Number three. We have the 1998 draft. Now, this, this was a great draft. Um, players coming from this draft include Antoine Jameson, Vince Carter... Dirk Nowitzki, uh, Paul Pierce. That's a good top three. Yeah. So those were all, and see, that's why I kind of chose this draft class because there was just more depth yeah. in the draft class um, compared to some, to some of the other ones. Um, so that's number three. Number two, we have the 1996 NBA draft. And that included players uh, like Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, Ray Allen. Um, and then Kobe Bryant, which I didn't realize how late he was picked before looking at this. He was he was the 13th pick on the NBA draft. Which there's a, man, there's a bunch of dudes because there's you got uh, Marcus Canby, Pedro Starokovich, Steve Nash, too. Steve Nash, um, yeah. Z the Zoldrudis Ogaskis, uh, Derek Fisher. I hate Derek Fisher. See, but there was oh, multiple and, players. But also, it's, you got Erica Dampier. Erica Dampier. Yeah, that's what Shaq calls her. <laughs> Erica Dampier. Yep. I mean, Shaq has Dampier. the right to oh, call him that. He was so useless in the in that, in that 06 finals. Man, yeah. Gosh. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, there was multiple players in this draft that became franchise players, you know. So yeah, those are good. I thought that was a good one, too. So that was number... That's number one. Number two. Number one. Dude, are you ready for this one? The grand reveal of this draft class. 1987. We have the Admiral David Robinson 
Scotty Pippen, Kenny the Jet Smith, Kevin Johnson, Horace Grant, Reggie Miller, Muggsy Bogues, Mark Jackson, and Reggie Lewis. See, just just that long list of names. Okay, that's a good one. All of those guys, multiple Hall of Famers, multiple All-Star selections, and names that you've just heard about because they've just been in basketball for a yeah, long time. So, I mean, just Scottie Pippen, uh, Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. But, but Reggie Miller, arguably the first or second greatest shooter of all time. That's there as well. Mark Jackson, one of the leaders in assists all time in the NBA. And then I thought you would have agreed with me with David Robinson yeah, like from the, the Spurs, Admiral. you know, the Admiral. But guess who? Got to give the Admiral some guess love. Guess who often kicked his butt, though? Uh, Michael Jordan. Hakeem <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Yeah, Hakeem oh, Olajuwon. Both of those names you said. What draft were they in? I know. See, it was That's a hard. Before. See, there's yeah, always such, uh, there's always going to be beef no, with the top fives. But this was my top also, five, also, and I believe in my top five. You're also forgetting it's the best top it's five. It's not just Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and Hakeem. It's also John Stockton. So oh yeah, have, he went later. That, that you could say all I four about of that. those dudes could be in my starting lineup all time. Like John Stockton, you could legitimately argue is the best point guard ever. Michael Jordan could legitimately, you could argue, is the best two. And Elijah, Elijah Wan, you could legitimately argue he's the best five. And I would say, just watching, just eyeball test, I really like Charles Barkley's game. I would put him as mm-hmm. a three or a four, depending on what you think he is. But he would be the last off that list. But, yeah. That drafts. All, all four of those dudes are not just Hall of Famers, but like the cream of the Hall of Famers. Yeah, you I mean, that's a good point. What was your fifth one? 2003? Oh, that one's not bad. What was your well, the 2009. Was your so 2009? there's a debate with that one. But, I mean, man. Steph Curry. Oh, man. That 2009 is such a bad place. Okay, okay. So bad. So, so, so maybe. Even 1998. Like, I love Dirk. But it's Dirk, Paul Pierce, Vince Carter. They're all good, solid players. None of them are on the level of any of the four I just mentioned from 1984. And then the next one is like well, Mike Bibby. Well, you can make Mike your Bibby top five, and, and we'll talk about that. That's, oh, man. And then, oh, man. Well, you know, oh, we are experts, gonna, so I'm was, sure. Did you specifically do that to make me mad? No, honestly, so I was trying to not have the Bulls bias because I love Michael Jordan and I didn't want to like have that bias just like just to pick his draft class because I love Michael Jordan. But but looking at it more, honestly, I don't know if I actually scrolled down enough to see John Stockton's name. (laughs) So that shows you how much research I did into putting together this top five. So I mean, Sam Perkins is pretty good. I think one of the main things is that, like, the other drafts just had more all-stars across the board that ended up, you know, players that ended up getting all-star selections. So I feel like that influenced my decision, you know, thinking that they, those draft classes were deeper. But, you know, looking at, looking back at the 84 draft, it was, there was a lot of pretty solid players that, even if they didn't get all-star selections, were, you know, defined the areas that they were in. And I, I think you have to consider as well that time period that they um, played in was a very competitive time period in the NBA with, you know, all the players from the Dream Team, they had to compete against those guys to get those all-star spots. So 
so that could that could also influence influence the number of all-star selections from that draft so anyways you know that's my top five take it with a grain of salt if you want to but you know i, I think honest, i honestly wasn't planning on getting like super emotionally invested in that like, you were just gonna be like oh yeah I was just thinking, like, okay like 1984 will be number one and then it'll be a bunch of other wins and I'm like oh those are interesting like i didn't really i forgot about those or See that's every so like, other top. That, I, that's every other top that ten draft class countdown. You did that specifically. Yeah, I wanted to be different. I want to be unique. Be different. This is a different podcast. When I succeeded. Well, now that we've made Brady mad, I guess we can conclude this segment, because um, that's really what we're trying to do here, I guess. Um, so thank you all for listening, and we'll You're talk to you next here. time.